This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. What is going on, everybody? Good to be with you once again. Dan Grosser hanging out with you here on 98.7 ESPN. You know the phone number. It's 800-919-3776. We'll take it right up until midnight Eastern time here on this fine Sunday in big old bad New York City. A steamy one, a hot one out there as we are officially into the heat wave period of this June month. I guess we still got this for a couple of more days, but we'll keep you entertained. We'll keep you cool for the next few hours here alongside my guys, Jacob Perry and Jake Montgomery, and plenty, plenty to get to here in the world of sports. Yankees and Sox doing battle, of course, out in the Bronx right now, finishing up their three-game series, a series that the Yanks need in the – or a game that the Yanks need in the absolute worst way just to salvage somewhat of a respectable homestand here after – Hey, look, they held serve against Tampa Bay, split in the four games, but then the last two nights against Boston, just nowhere to be found. They got themselves a lead tonight, 3-1 in the sixth inning. Herman gave you a decent outing. Still had a chance to break this one open in the previous inning there when they had the bases loaded, could only scratch across one run in the fourth. But still a lot of time left in this game, and now they turn it over to the bullpen, which we know that that kind of bit them a little bit last night. And we'll see if they can preserve it this evening and maybe even tack on a few runs. We know they're struggling offensively in the worst way possible. Mets get it done today out on the West Coast. Good performance from Marcus Stroman. Bats come alive when they need to. So the Mets, they finish up their West Coast trip. They take two out of three in Arizona. And after dropping the first two in San Diego, which are both winnable games, they get an unbelievable pitching performance once again. And I know I sound like a broken record from DeGrom last night, and we'll talk about him a little bit later and what he's doing in a historical sense, which is just – unlike anything we have ever seen, forget about in this city, but in the history of baseball, what he has done so far, his first nine starts of the season. And then today, Marcus Stroman followed it up, you know, gave you another quality outing, only gave up a run, and then he helped himself out at the plate as well, getting a little bit of insurance. So good job splitting the forward San Diego. Now they get a day off tomorrow, and they're going to head to Baltimore to take on an Orioles team, which you should beat. You know, a couple of games against the O's, you should beat them. And it's a Mets team that continues to tread water, as I like to say, atop that National League Eastern Division. You know, nobody else wants to cooperate. Nobody else has a winning record. And the Mets will certainly take advantage of that and then some. And they've done that. And they have a lead in the division right now. And the way the National League is shaping up, which we'll detail a little bit later on, I mean, the NL East may only get just one playoff team this year. You know, there may not be any room for a wild card, given the way those three teams out of the NL West are playing in the Giants, the Padres, and the Dodgers. But all that stuff a little bit later on. And as I said, we'll keep you up to date here on the Yankees and we'll get all the post game reaction too when that becomes available. If you want to get me on Twitter, feel free to do so at Dan Grasa, G R A C A. We'll start with the Nets as the NBA postseason is now officially all into round number two with the Clippers beating the Dallas Mavericks in game seven, which was a first round series earlier today. So congrats to the Clips. But Nets got their second round started last night beating the Milwaukee Bucks at home at the Barclays Center, hanging on and knocking off Giannis and company. However, you know, the news isn't all good because as soon as the game went final, your thoughts, if you were a Nets fan, went immediately to James Harden and his status with the hamstring, one that cost him all but 43 seconds of the action last night. So if you're the Nets, you win the battle, but you may have lost the war depending on the status of James Harden's hamstring moving forward. And we found out a little while ago today that he's not going to be available for tomorrow's game two, at minimum. And then they're going to reevaluate after that. So, all right, you're going to have to beat this Milwaukee team at least for one game without the services of your big three. 
Now, you want James Harden in the lineup. That goes without saying. That's a guy that you need. You know, that's the reason this whole group came together was to win a championship. The Nets are good when it's two out of three, right? Take whatever combination you want. They could beat most teams, but now as you get deeper into the postseason, you're going up against better competition, and you need to be firing on all cylinders. That's why you got these three, and you need them to stay healthy. And they only played eight games together during the regular season. You wondered what type of an effect that would have on them come postseason time. Well, they played the first round. That was okay, you know, but we didn't learn anything about the Nets against the Boston Celtics because the Celtics were overmatched. Celtics weren't even whole, and even if they were, they still probably wouldn't be able to match up against this Brooklyn team. And you knew that on the surface, going up against Milwaukee, that was going to pose some challenges. You know, this is a Bucks team that underachieved in the playoffs the last couple of years. And I felt we're on a mission here in this postseason. The way they easily disposed of the Miami Heat in the first round and sweeping them away, and they were sitting back for the last week with their feet up, just waiting to find out who their opponent was going to be. And even though we kind of figured it was going to be Brooklyn, had to make it official. You know, and that's a better Bucks team than the one we saw crash out of the bubble last year against Miami. And they avenged that defeat. And they look like, hey, we got eyes on a bigger prize. I don't care if this is the big, bad Brooklyn Nets and a team that was put together to destroy the whole NBA. Well, the Nets got their one, though, last night. And if you're telling me that James Harden isn't going to be playing tomorrow, well, you know what? That's not the end of the world, even if they drop the game, if all he misses is just one. Because the advantage that the Nets have moving forward now in this series, despite the injury, and you're going to think it's weird. But I just got done saying that they only played eight games together as a big three. They've got plenty of experience playing shorthanded. So this isn't uncharted waters for them. Like, they've kind of been down this road before. So if you're telling me that it's just going to be KD and Kyrie, maybe for the rest of this series. You know, we don't know definitively, but... If you heard the post-game remarks last night, whether it was from Steve Nash or Kevin Durant and anybody else that spoke after the game about James Harden, you know, when you hear them use words like heartbreaking, it's heartbreaking. You know, that doesn't sound like it's a little hamstring tweak. You know, if a buddy of yours or somebody tweaks a hamstring, you're not going to say, oh, my God, it's heartbreaking. No, it's rub some dirt on it, go out there and play. Heartbreaking to me sounds like you might be talking about some sort of a tear. And let's not forget, this is the same hamstring which cost him, what, a month earlier in the season. And now he re-injures it again. So this thing obviously still is not right. I don't think you miss that much time, come back, re-injure it again, and then, oh, it's fine, no worry, no concern. No, I, I, I think this could be significant. And the Nets are going to have to have those other two guys step up. Two other guys that you thought at the beginning of the season, before James Harden was even part of the equation in Brooklyn, that would be good enough to challenge for a championship, right? KD, Kyrie, Kyrie, KD. And then the added bonus that the Nets found out they had last night was a guy by the name of Blake Griffin. Who saw that performance coming from him? I haven't seen that performance from Blake Griffin in a big spot since 2013. Where's this guy been? Now, he fouled out of the game. That's great. But you know what? That happens. He gave him good minutes last night. Blake Griffin essentially acted like the third wheel of a big three. But is he dependable enough at this stage of his career? Right? I mean, is Blake Griffin that type of an outing? Is that something that if you're the Nets, you can honestly and realistically expect to get night in and night out for the remainder of this series? I I'm not so sure. 18 and 14? Four three-pointers? 
Blake Griffin alone almost made as many threes as the entire Milwaukee Bucks roster did. I don't know if that's feasible. So the Nets are going to have to step up their game in a big, big way because I can also guarantee you something else, and I think that the Nets realize this. You really think Milwaukee is going to shoot that bad again moving forward in this series? Like every single game, they're going to shoot 6 of 30 from beyond the arc? No way. Like, no way, no how. You know, they dominated in the paint last night. Bucks had 72 points out of their 107 in the paint. And they lost the game because, as I just got done saying, they only made six three-pointers. They could not convert from outside. And, you know, when you listen to some of those guys talk after the game, like Giannis and, and, and the others, they kind of chalked it up to a little bit of rust. Now, I don't know if you want to believe them. I don't know if you want to chalk that up as just nothing more than making excuses. But the Bucs haven't played for a week. And the comparison that those guys were making were along the same lines as the way that they played that first game against the Miami Heat in round one, where Milwaukee needed to go to overtime in that game. When Jimmy Butler, who was pretty bad in the entire series and in that game, remember, he banked that one in to force overtime in game one, and then the Bucs were able to win in the extra session as Chris Middleton played the role of hero, making big buckets down the stretch. And then the rest of that series, Milwaukee just steamrolled the Heat the next three games. Is that what's going to be in store here moving forward? Because I tell you, if you're the Bucs, you can't play much worse. You can't shoot much worse. And now you go into that game tomorrow with a little bit of added confidence knowing, shoot, James Harden's not playing. You know, we don't have to deal with the beard. That's one out of the big three gone. Like, I'll take my chances with that if you're Milwaukee because you know what? I think that locker room is pretty confident that even with James Harden, if he was healthy, that they'd still be able to go out there and get the job done and beat this Nets team. And, and, and I, I certainly think it's possible. Bucks are a good team. They're a good team. I guess the only thing that surprised me from the game last night is it was as low scoring as it was because Nets don't play any defense. And with the firepower that the Nets have offensively when everybody is firing on all cylinders – it's tough for anybody to shut them down. So maybe I would expect a little bit more in the way of offense moving forward, moving forward in this series here. But a good first step for the Nets. You know, they did what they had to do. And we'll see if it's nothing more than rust for Milwaukee. You know, we'll see if it's nothing more than just being on the sidelines for a week. And with Harden not playing tomorrow, you know what? Get used to it. This might be a little while. Might be two games, might be three games, might be the whole series. Who knows? But in the way those guys were talking, as I said, it didn't sound overly optimistic. And the fact that they weren't, you know, overly willing to divulge information here tonight when they told you he's out tomorrow and then we'll assess it on a day-by-day basis, they're probably hoping it gets better. But I don't know if they're 100% confident. But the Nets could do it without him. Can they win a championship without him? Don't know. They may not have to worry about that. They got to worry about beating this Milwaukee team because the way I see it, and it's exactly what I thought before the series even tipped off last night, this might as well be the Eastern Conference Finals, guys. I think the winner of this series goes to the NBA Finals. No disrespect to Philly, no disrespect to Atlanta. And Oh, by the way, how do you like that Hawks performance this afternoon? An alt- almost, almost an all-time epic 
playoff collapse if they would have lost that game today. But they didn't, and they seized home court advantage just like they did against the Knicks in round one. You know how many people, buddies of mine, Nick fans, saying, boy, it's so nice watching Trey Young not have to worry about him doing that to your team. Right now he's Philly's problem. <laughs> and then Philly learned real quick, just like Nick fans did, about how good this guy is, and more importantly, how good the team is. You know, this Hawks team is good. It is a good basketball team, as Nick fans know all too well, unfortunately. So what do you think about the Nets? You know, do you think this James Harden injury puts a dent in their chances of advancing, if it's anything lengthy? You know, will the Bucks bounce back? 800-919-3776. We'll come back and we'll hear from some of the principals involved in that game one Brooklyn win last night. I mean, we'll get into the summer that lies ahead for the New York Knicks, which is a different summer than ones that we've seen involving this basketball team for a lot of years. Why? Because, well, it's coming off of a playoff appearance. And we're not used to seeing that around here. Now it's not just about holding serve. It's about how do we get better? Not being satisfied with just making the postseason and losing in the first round. How do you build off of this? And that's what Leon Rose and his staff have to figure out here and we'll go over the possibilities and hear what you think about what potentially could happen as well. But we'll have some fun tonight. We're with you till midnight Eastern. Three big hours, you and me. It's Dan Grasso hanging out with you on 98.7 ESPN. Grasso back with you here on 98.7 ESPN. We're rolling till midnight on this sports Sunday. 800-919-ESPN. 800-919-3776 is the telephone number. Yanks nine outs away from at least salvaging a game in this set against the Red Sox. They lead Boston 3-1 as we go top seven out in the Bronx. And we'll have you covered here for all the post-game stuff once the game goes final but we're talking basketball right now nets up one nothing on the milwaukee bucks knicks starting to lay forward the groundwork and the plans of what it's going to take for them to build off of that surprise playoff run this year and one that ousted prematurely at the hands of the atlanta hawks in five games as we all know so james harden not going to play tomorrow and who knows moving on from there if it's going to be multiple games just one game remains to be seen Let's hear from the head coach, Steve Nash, on dealing with James Harden's injury. You know, we've had a lot thrown at us this year, so we were, in a sense, well-trained for this uh, uh, this event. Um, but, you know, you never want to see that from someone like James, who's such an important player, such an incredible player, and, and cares so much. You know, I'm heartbroken for him. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he's playing next game or if he's out. I have no idea. But heartbroken for him that he just got to miss, that he had to miss the night. I mean, this guy was so ready and excited to play tonight. Um, and you know the preparation he puts in. You know how much he cares about the game, how much he cares about his team. So you never want to see that when someone's, you know, gives gives everything they have towards this. Well, that was obviously the cut from postgame last night before they knew for sure that he was going to be out, so we don't want to lead you astray. Harden is out. They announced that earlier this afternoon. But what about his injury potentially changing the game plan in any way? You know, we already had questions coming in uh, that we were going to try to answer as we went along, and so that just threw a huge one at us. In a sense, it gave us less choice. Um, 
but you know when you prepare for a game and he's such a big part of the game plan um that that can throw you off so i was proud of the guys that they didn't get rattled they hung in there um and got the win but we'll have to look at it we'll have to see how we go here and and watching the film and taking a look at our rotations and our options and see what buttons we can push and uh persevere you know kd and kyrie stepped up last night and they played major minutes they both played over 40 minutes um you wonder if they're going to be asked to do that again if it's going to take their toll on them in any way, shape, or form because, you know, they haven't played a full season. They've missed time, and you have to wonder where they are conditioning-wise. You know, they were effective last night, but on the flip side, you know, I was talking to some people around the league today, as a matter of fact, and they were kind of astonished, to be honest with you, that on the Milwaukee side, Giannis only played 35 minutes in that game last night. Now, he played okay. Right, he put up 34. He had a double double. He was he was okay, but you know when you see those two guys down the other end of the floor play over 40, and then he's sitting down for 35, or I mean he's out there for only 35, it calls into question again the narrative surrounding Mike Budenholzer, the head coach, right? And you know Budenholzer, he's got multiple coach of the years and so on and so forth, but it just seems like in the playoffs, it's just he can't get out of his own way. And you got to change the strategy. You got to change the coaching a little bit, do you not? You know, you might be able to get away with playing Giannis 35 minutes during a regular season game, but this is the playoffs. The playoffs. You got to have it. I mean, if the other guys, superstars in their own right, are playing 40 minutes, Giannis should be out there that long, too. You know, Milwaukee isn't as top heavy as the Brooklyn Nets are. Whether, you know, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, those are like the two and three. Great. It's not KD Kyrie and, and James Harden. Big difference there. All right, let's see what you guys think here. 800-919-3776. Let us say hi to Jeff in Long Island. He's first up here on 98.7. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, Jeff. What's going on? Um, well, first of all, you know, I, I'm, I'm listening, and I, I'm, I'm all on board with what you're saying. I, I think this is so fast-moving with all of the teams involved right now in playoffs that you're, you're absolutely right, like anything else. This is a whole different season. And I'm looking at all these teams, and I'm looking to see how coaches utilize their bench. So as an example, even though the Knicks lost, I think the use of Derrick Rose was used beautifully during the season, but had to depend on him more. And he wasn't used to it the same way that he was during the season. So if you look at the Bucks and you look at the Nets, and you look at the Hawks, and you look at the Sixers, if someone goes down, you haven't had much time to practice in a limited series with your bench players who can come in. As an example, when the Knicks started throwing in uh, Toppin and others, that mm-hmm. Knicks bench was really great during the season. But when it comes to playoffs in a limited series, and there are injuries, one or two top players, hence Harden being out now, it's a whole different ball game. So I really think that although the folks out there are calling for the Nets to still win it. Now you've evened up the score. So I really look to the benches and how those line one, line two, and line three, using a hockey metaphor, come into these games and start playing. Does that make sense to you? Uh, It does totally. And it goes to the point that I just made about Budenholzer with Milwaukee. This ain't the regular season anymore. And I just looked it up here, Jeff, right? Giannis for the regular season, he averaged 33 minutes a night. So far in five playoff games for Milwaukee, he's averaged 36 minutes. I mean, that is a small bump up. You know what I mean? These are playoff games. This is your season. Now, I know that a couple of those games were lopsided in the first round against Miami, but no excuse last night. 
you know, this could potentially be for a trip to the finals because I think that if Milwaukee gets by Brooklyn, they're going to be able to beat either Philadelphia or Atlanta. So you got to have this guy empty the tank. And I'm sorry. You know, pretty soon you could be up against the wall if they lose tomorrow night without James Harden. Then what do you do? You're down two with really little to no margin for error the rest of the way. And to your point, I think if I'm looking at these four teams in the East, I'm thinking that the best utilization so far, so far from any of these teams, and they're all really good teams, and they all can do it, I think, and I hate to say this, I'm a Knicks fan, Mm -hmm. but I think when I watch the Hawks and the utilization of their bench and their coaching with a coach who came in midway through the season, utilized his bench better than the other three. Now, I may, you may disagree with me totally. Now, I know it's, it's, it, we have a superstar on Atlanta there, mm-hmm. but that bench really played well together. It didn't matter what the combination was. It almost reminds me, I'm going to use a football metaphor, it almost reminds me the way, you know, it didn't matter who was injured on the New England Patriots. Every right. week, Belichick figured out a way who was going to help him win that game. Some people came in for two or three games to be a superstar, and that's what the concentration needs to be on. And if we could take a page out of the Belichick book on who's going to be there on our bench, then I think that whoever is successful enough in these games in the East, now I'm not talking about the West games, that's a whole different smell. Right. But these games in the East, I haven't seen, I think the Knicks lost because that bench and that coaching was just extraordinary by them in that series. Jeff, it was. It was. And I thank you for the phone call. A couple of things. And and you're right. Look, Nate McMillan, not just based on what's happening here in the playoffs, Nate McMillan's done an unbelievable job. Unbelievable job. I mean, he's not going to obviously win the award, but if you branch to what he did out to a full season, he is coach of the year conversation. Like, that's how good. I mean, you go back and look at the Hawks under Lloyd Pierce, and this is not pick on Lloyd Pierce night, but if you look at that team under him this year and previous seasons – to what they did when Nate McMillan took over, it's like night and day. Night and day. To the point where they've almost become, like, unbeatable at home. They've won, like, 13, 14 in a row in that building, including the playoffs. I mean, both, both playoff games down there for the Knicks, they didn't stand a shot, right? You know, he's allowed Trey Young to value the basketball a little bit more. Like, Trey Young is not turning it over as much as he did under Lloyd Pierce. And I think that Nate McMillan deserves a lot of the credit there. They've held on to leads a lot better. I mean, Atlanta blew a ton of fourth-quarter leads. You go back and look it up before the coaching change was made. A ton of fourth-quarter leads. He's had them closing out games better. And I think to Jeff's point, you know, with the Knicks and with their bench and what happened in that first round, everybody was calling for Alfred Payton to be benched, right? Didn't want to see him starting anymore. Didn't want to see him starting. Okay, and eventually he was replaced in the starting lineup by Derrick Rose. But what happened? Yes, Derrick Rose ended up playing way more minutes than he should have. You know, Derrick Rose shouldn't have been playing close to 40 minutes a game. Not at this stage of his career when he was only playing about 25 during the season. But when you also put Derrick Rose in the starting lineup, you're weakening your bench. So then when they turned to the second unit, they had like nobody to be able to provide a punch. You know, you saw guys do it in spurts. You know, Alec Burks did it for one game. Obi Toppin gave you some excitement for a couple of minutes here and there, but nothing consistent. And then when your stars are not doing what they're supposed to do, you have nothing to turn to. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why the Knicks had a five-game ouster in that first round of the playoffs. 800 telephone number. We come back, we'll dive a little bit deeper. 
into the Knicks. Where it all went wrong, what needs to be done during this summer, and more importantly, realistically, what can be done for this basketball team to build upon a postseason berth here in 2021. It's Dan Grasso with you here on a Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. Sunday night in the big city, Dan Grasso with you here on 98.7 ESPN, 800-919-3776. Yankee bullpen strikes again, folks. Oh, yeah. The nightmare's back. This time, Lucas Litke, the culprit. Marwin Gonzalez greets him with a two-run jack to left. Game tied at three. Yanks' inability to break it open in the fourth inning. Like we told you earlier, they have the bases loaded. They have to settle for one run, and that's why they're in a tie ball game once again here in the seventh inning. Yanks two for seven tonight with runners in scoring position, and they've left seven guys on base. Had opportunities, but just can't take advantage of it. You know, same tired old refrain, and I'm sure it's getting frustrating here if you're a Yankee fan. And by the way, you got a guy on the bench tonight named Giancarlo Stanton, who just sat out the other night, by the way. Uh, with a night needing some rest, and he's making you know eighteen gazillion dollars, uh, and he's nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found when this offense is scuffling, and that's putting it mildly here. But we'll keep you posted on the uh, proceedings out there in the Bronx between the Yanks and the Red Sox. Uh, Knicks, look, it was fun, right? When I was on with you last, it was Monday, and we still had at least. Game five to talk about. And I thought that they'd come out and actually play well in game five, win the game, and then send it back to Atlanta for a game six. Take your chances after that. But didn't happen. Um, hey, if they would have lost in game five, that's one thing. I didn't expect for them to get, like, run out the gym. And that's exactly what went down there. But I'll say this for Nick fans. You want me to help you feel better if you're a Nick fan? All right, I'm going to do something nice for you. Because I know that some of you are like all bummed out that the season's still over and you're watching these other teams play ball and you wish that your team could be playing and why aren't the Knicks taking on the Sixers? Like, how did Atlanta beat us and all that stuff? So you can at least take some satisfaction. And I'll point you into the direction of what's going on down in Dallas. All right, their season is over too. And our old buddy, Kristaps Porzingis, a guy who... The unicorn, remember him? Was thought to be the franchise player, the savior. Dallas made the move to acquire him, and everybody laughed at the Knicks, saying that they got fleeced by the Mavericks, and now he's going to go and, 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 you know, join this one-two combo with Luka Doncic and set the NBA on fire, and the Knicks are going to be laughing stocks again, and blah, 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 blah. Well, how's that working out for him? And how's that working out for Dallas? Because Dallas still can't get past the first round. And in these big games, Porzingis is nowhere to be found. All right, so take some solace in that, that KP and his contract is someone else's problem and not the New York Knicks. And by the way, let me remind you of the contract, just so we can have some fun here. $31.6 million due next year. $33.8 million due the year after that. And then you get a nice, affordable player option for $36 million afterwards. You got Rick Carlisle, the Mavericks head coach, who outside of winning that championship 10 years ago, basically can't get out of the first round. I think it's like seven straight years or something like that. 
But you got Rick Carlisle sitting there saying he's thrilled and he's pleased with Porzingis, the way he's contributing to this offense by being a floor spacer. Paying a guy $31 million to space the floor and take seven shots a game and not be assertive and not attack the glance. Guy's seven foot three. He wants no part of a rebound. None. And we could sit here and take bets once the season starts next year, like how soon before he goes on the injured list, because you know that's happening. So if you're a Knicks fan, you could be happy about that. That Porzingis is not exactly thriving, and he's not going to fit into that category of one that got away and woulda, coulda, shoulda, and why did we trade him? Now, about this team. We said the Hawks are legit. You should have known the Hawks are legit. They're a good team. They have a superstar who's playing like a superstar, and he's got help, right? That's the difference between Luka Doncic and Trey Young, and their careers are always going to be linked with one another because they were traded for each other on draft night, but look at the help that Trey Young has, and look at the supporting cast that he has in Atlanta. Luka Doncic has nobody. You know who Luka Doncic's number two is right now? It's Tim Hardaway Jr., the other guy in that trade that came from the New York Knicks. Not KP. And Tim Hardaway Jr., nobody wanted him as a number two when he was here with the Knicks. And he's not a number two. But he's had to be because that team is a mishmash of talent that isn't exactly well put together. But that's Dallas's problem. Now the work begins, though, for the Knicks. You know you have to get better, right? You just can't stand Pat. And I was one of those voices back at the trade deadline and, and, and look, I own this. I will own it and sticking to it. I wasn't going to go all in on this year. This was as unexpected. Nobody saw this coming. Winning the 41 games. Getting a four seed. And at the trade deadline, I said, you know what? Stand pat. Don't throw a bunch of chips at the table. Mortgage your future to bring on a guy who might be a big name, might be a little bit better than the guys that you have, maybe a little bit more experienced, just that might help you win around this season that you're going to regret moving forward. Right? Didn't work out. Didn't work out when push came to shove in the playoffs because when they were looking for help, when they were looking for that added spark, they didn't get it. But if you look back at the trade deadline, Look at the pieces that were moved in and around the NBA, the bigger names. Victor Oladipo did nothing. Did nothing down in Miami. Got hurt. Did nothing. Evan Fournier got moved to the Boston Celtics. What did he do for them? Nothing. You know, Aaron Gordon wasn't a fit here because he got Julius Randle. So that wouldn't have worked out. So I I, I don't think that there was going to be a guy that they could have acquired where you would have said, oh, yeah, sure, that's going to help us. I, I, I just don't see it. But now you go into the summertime, but you got $50, $60 million roughly to work with. That's a lot of cash. That's a lot of change. And this is, to me, going to be a situation and a scenario unlike a couple of seasons ago where the Knicks had cap space, they had money, they were ready to make a splash, but nobody wanted to take their money. Now that garden's a little bit more appealing again. That franchise has become a destination again, I feel. Because you know what? There's a lot of players in the NBA who weren't in the playoffs this year, or they were in the playoffs, but yet they were sitting back watching the tube on those nights that the Knicks had home games at MSG, watching the Garden, watching how crazy it was, and that was only a little less than a full house. Imagine once the restrictions are completely gone and you could pack that place to the gills, how crazy it's going to be. 
and how the fans celebrated outside the garden into the streets there on 7th Avenue, just celebrating a round one win. Not winning the round, winning a game in the round. You know that there's got to be a player out there who says, damn, that's an environment I want to be a part of. That's what I want to play in. But it might not have to be in, or it might not be in free agency this year. You're going to have to get creative. Who's coming back? Guys under contract next year, you got Randall, RJ, Knox, OB, Quickly, and Vildoza, the Spanish guy that they sign. Mitchell Robinson has a club option. God's honest truth, guys, I don't know how this team feels and the organization, the powers that be, feels about Mitchell Robinson right now. I don't. I don't. I don't know how Tim, Tom Thibodeau feels about him. I have no idea. Remember, he missed most of the season. He wasn't drafted by this regime. I don't know if he is in the plans moving forward. So that bears watching. Derek Rose, a free agent. Reggie Bullock. Alec Burks. Nerlens Noel. But the challenge that the Knicks face is, if you do want to bring some of those guys back, and, and, and I would want to bring some of those guys back. You know, Bullock, I think, is the number one priority out of those names. Well, aside from Derrick Rose, I should say. You know, Rose off the bench is number one. Then Bullock, and then probably Noel. But Derrick Rose is making about seven and a half this year. Remember, Reggie Bullock, he got on the cheap at a little over four. Burke's making six million. Nerland's Noel making five. Here's the, ch- here's the challenge, though, for the Knicks. All right, if you want to bring those guys back, you're not getting them that cheap anymore. Okay, they've been on a team now that was successful, that went to the playoffs. Those guys made contributions. You're not going to get as fortunate like you did a couple of summers ago where they were just kind of happy to be part of the mix and, you know, Knicks sign a bunch of veterans after missing out on the big targets. That's not going to happen again. So what do you do? And if you bring those guys back, you're essentially just holding serve. How do you get better? How do you improve upon just making it to the first round? How do you get past that? And what options are out there? I'll give you some of them when we come back, and I'll tell you what I think could ultimately be the end goal here for this basketball team. 800-919-3776. Dan Grasso with you here on 98.7 ESPN. Dan Grasso back with you here on 98.7 ESPN. We're taking it right up until midnight. Yanks Sox tied at three. Top of the eighth inning. Even though Boston's got the go-ahead run 90 feet away at third base. We'll keep you up to date on that one. So the Knicks. You need help with the point guard position, right? I mean, how long have we been sitting here trying to find a solution at the point? You know that that's something that they battled with all season long. If you look at the list of free agent point guards, I mean – Mike Conley Jr., Kyle Lowry, Lonzo Ball. I mean, CP3 technically can become a free agent if he rips up and opts out his deal and if he thinks he could get a big, splashy deal elsewhere, which he may, may not be able to. I don't know. All it takes is just one to be able to write the check, right? One team, one crazy general manager, one crazy owner. But especially where he is in his career right now and 
now that he's banged up again in the playoffs, I, I don't know if you want to run that risk if I'm a team. So he, he may end up just staying put. And those other guys, they, they just don't do it for me. Lowry and Con- I mean, Conley's always hurt, and Conley's, you know, closer to the end than he is at the beginning. Um, and, Kylie, and Kyle Lowry's a guy who I think his best basketball is behind him. You want to make the big splash? You know where we have to go. You want to make the big splash? We got to go to the great Northwest. And there's been reports already that the Knicks have checked in on Damian Lillard. Is he available? Will Portland possibly move him? Hey, you notice what's happened the last couple of days with the Blazers and their coaching search? They fired Terry Stotts a couple of nights ago, despite making the playoffs for eight consecutive years. But, hey, that's Portland. You know, you do it with really not a lot of exposure, not a lot of attention, but you got to win. And getting bounced out of the first round four out of the last five years, ultimately there's going to be a price to pay. But Dame Lillard, who, give him credit, he signed a contract there. Signed an extension. Decided to be a part of the fix, the solution. Doesn't mean he's unmovable. But he publicly went to bat for a guy like Jason Kidd to be the new head coach. Do you see that? I want Jason Kidd to be the head coach. Earlier today, Jason Kidd put out a statement saying, I'm withdrawing my name for the Portland Trailblazers head coaching vacancy. Now, you could read into that in two different ways. Number one, maybe Kidd or his representatives put out some feelers and they said, yeah, you're probably not going to get the job. So, okay, before I get turned down for the job, I'm just going to come out and say I don't want the job. Or, and this is what would get Nick fans salivating here a little bit, maybe, just maybe, Jason Kidd found out somehow, some way, that maybe Damian Lillard doesn't plan to be sticking around Portland that much longer. And maybe he's going to try to force his way out of the great Northwest to another destination. Could be New York, might not be New York. Be great. I mean, who wouldn't want to have Damian Lillard on your team? I mean, all of a sudden he becomes the face of your franchise. Now, you know the price you got to pay, though. A lot of these younger guys who we talked about, they're going to be gone. You know, they're going to have to go back to Portland and some draft picks. You know those five first-rounders you got over the next couple of years? Yeah, a few of those are going to have to be going, too. But I think most Knicks fans would probably sign on the dotted line and say, yeah, let's make it happen. Let's do it. You know, we need our game changer. We See, the problem is, as great as Julius Randle was this year, Julius Randle, not a point guard. Julius Randle's not the guy who's going to have the ball in his hands. Julius Randle, I don't consider to be a playmaker. Somebody's got to put him in position to make some plays. Damian Lillard doesn't need any of that stuff. Guy's magic when he has the basketball. You know, put two guys on him, don't matter. Step back, don't matter. Not afraid to take that last shot. Not afraid to take the big shot. I mean, we've seen him do this on the big stage. I mean, who wouldn't want to get this guy on your team? But here's the issue that you have if you're the Knicks. I ran down a little while ago all those free agents that you have on this team that you would like to bring back because, look, you got to have a bench, right? you got to at least have some sort of secondary unit that can contribute for you. But if you go make that big splash... There's a pecking order here. You have to go and attempt to make the big splash first, which could potentially be at the expense of even bringing back your own free agents, right? That's the risk, potentially, of missing out on not retaining your own guys. Like, think about what happened now going on a little more than 10 years ago with Miami, with LeBron and those guys. 
when they all joined up, LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, when they went down to Miami, the Heat sold out to go get those three, even though Bosh was there, or excuse me, uh, Wade was there already. But just to make them a big three, they had to turn a blind eye to everything else. And when those three guys signed, they only had like four or five guys under contract on their entire team. And then they had to essentially like pluck dudes off the street to fill out their roster. Whether it was the Jawan Howards and the Shane Battiers and, you know, the James Jones and so on and so forth. Maybe not flashy names, maybe not guys that are necessarily like top of the heap, but serviceable pros. But your options were restricted, and then you were up against it a little bit with the cap because you got other guys making a lot of money. So that's the situation the Knicks could potentially find themselves in. But they're not bringing in three. In the case of Lillard, it would be just going all in to get that one guy. But you could be weakening yourself in other positions too. Because don't you think if I'm Portland and I'm about to lose one of the best players in basketball, you damn best be sure that R.J. Barrett is going to be one of the names that I want in return along with uh, the rest of all those players slash picks and whatever else it's going to take. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's probable. But you know that that's a direction that you got to be thinking if you want to improve this basketball team. You need a one. And for as good as Julius Randle was this year, and he was a top 10 player in the NBA in the regular season, top 10, he was. He's not a number one. And we got confirmation on that in the five games against the Atlanta Hawks, unfortunately. Buddha in the Bronx, up next year on 98.7. Buddha, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, Dan? How you doing, big bro? Good, Buddha. What's going on? Listen, you know, Dan, I love you. And, you know, I'm glad you got the show and I'm glad you're on. You just scrolled down the four free agents for the Knicks, right? Um, mm-hmm. What do you got? Derek Rose. Rose, you got Bullock. Alec Burks, mm-hmm. you got Noel, and you got Bullock. And you said out of those four, the primary person was Bullock? I said listen. Rose and then Bullock. All right, listen. All right, so listen, Rose, I, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Bullock is the fourth out of all of those guys. I mean, really Dan, so? come on. And, and listen, I'm not, Dan, I got to admit, I'm not even a Knicks fan, but I watch all the games. You know, I'm a New York guy. Bullock is the worst out of all of those four guys. I mean, how many big games did he come up with? Eight points. His most memorable no- moment is uh, bumping Trey Young in the half-court walkaway. I mean, come on. Bullock. You know why Bullock? Because when Bullock's right, okay, when he's right, he made a couple of big threes for you. In the, in, the, in the game that they won in game two, he made some big threes for you. But you know that he can shoot it. But on the other end of the floor, Buddha, at times when healthy, he's your best perimeter defender. That's not saying much. But you, I mean, said, but you, you need guys. You, you got to get stops. With, you do. But you preface your comment. Listen to what you just said. You said, mm-hmm. when he's right. When you start off with something that when he's right, you you know, you're admitting to yourself that there's a shakiness in his game. There's an up and downness in his game. I mean, Burks is a thousand times better than Bullock is. Burks is a thousand times better than than, than Bullock is. Bullock was somebody, if, if Julius Randle had a good season, 
a, a great season, let's say, because, you know, he was on a team that wasn't that great and he performed well. Bullock is like a derivative of that. Bullock on a good team is not even going to get off the – he's going to be the eighth person off the bench. The only reason Bullock was there was because we're lacking at the perimeter players, uh, you know, in terms of depth. He was a bad player, bro. Like, come on. He was a bad player, Dan. He missed a thousand shots when we needed him to. You know, the defense he played was okay in spots. But like you said, I got to go back to that. You said when he was right. Well, when I say when he's right, right Buddha, when I say say he's right, and I got to let you go, thank you for the phone call. I meant healthy when he's healthy. We'll carry this conversation over to the other side. We'll also get into some Mets, too. Dan Grasso with you here on 98.7 ESPN.